Hey guys, welcome to Farfetched Stories. My name is R.E.M. Verberg, and I'm your host on here. Today's episode is going to be a little different. Due to COVID-19 related issues, I've had to narrate this one myself. Because of my Dutch accent, that's totally out of my comfort zone, so I would very much appreciate your feedback on the audio quality. And you can email that to info at remverberg.com. Thank you. In last week's episode, we saw a different side to Kura's loss, as well as a call to arms. In episode 6, the upcoming battle draws mixed emotions, not only from the Raven, but also from someone he hasn't talked to before. Many thanks to Louisa Mitchell for her editing efforts, and to Alex Liu for his music. If you'd like to receive notifications when new episodes of The Raven's Toll come out, please subscribe at remverberg.com. For now, enjoy this one. Finally, I'd like to dedicate this episode to my good friend Tess, who passed away last week. She was not only an amazingly loyal and inspiring friend, but also one of my sharpest writing critics. Thank you for everything, Tess. I'll miss you so much. Toll, Episode 6 All the Moving Parts The raven stood in a small army tent, throwing piles of clothes onto his cot. He'd only just gotten used to his room in Kurosla's apartments, but once again fate had carried him away, just when he thought he was getting somewhere with Laz. He didn't know how he could be in an army that fought against everything he stood for. Their contingent had marched out of Khan Lee just that afternoon, and he'd barely had time to gather his belongings, let alone his thoughts. But Sornan Util came in, a thin, pale man with slick back hair, Lao's manservant. The raven thought his name was Nikaz. Sir, Nikaz said, please let me help you with that. No need, the raven replied. All done. Sir? The raven turned around to where the util stood, looking down. What is it? Thank you for putting in a good word for Zori, Nikaz blurted out. A good word? Yes, sir, Nikaz looked up. We're all very glad they're here, and I know it was you who told Commander Laas to take them along. The raven frowned. I... They were interrupted by Kuras Laas himself. The commander stormed into the raven's tent, looking slightly disheveled. His hair stood up straight where he'd manically run his hands through it. Without a word, Nikaz bowed and left. Kuras last sat down on the raven's cot, putting a pile of clothes to the side. He raked his hands through his hair again. Is everything all right? the raven asked. Kuras looked up. I'm not sure, T.A. He took a deep breath. To tell you the truth, I'm scared. You are? The raven sat down on a trunk opposite the bed. Of what? Of being a commander, Kura said hoarsely. I don't know how to lead 500 men. I've never even seen a battle. Well, you have a marshal, don't you? Kuras got up and started pacing. Of course I do. You know that. And officers and a seneschal will overlook the work in the mines. What? T.A. Kura stared at him. You said it yourself. 
Someone needs to make a difference. I don't want to cause unnecessary death. And yet, we're marching straight into battle. Exactly, Kura sighed. Look, I know you haven't been in my employ for long, but... He stopped. I understand what you told me before. I, I want you to know that. And I, I want to do better. But I can't do that if other people are making all my decisions for me. The raven felt it, then. A tugging at the world's strings. A redirection of the balance. It was as if the tent grew wider around him. His heart started beating faster. He got up, too, and faced Kuras. Do not be afraid, he said, and smiled. Everything that makes a difference is done for the first time once. He put a hand on Kura's shoulder. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes along the way. What matters is that you do it. But what is it exactly? Kuras asked. T.A., what, what should I do? The raven looked away. The potential for change rippled through the air, almost tangible. It ran through his veins, kindling the skill within him. Kura's eyes were before him, trusting, open. Turn back, leave Magoya Forest alone. The raven focused the intention, ready to transfer it, then shook his head. He'd sworn an oath. What is it, T.A.? I can't tell you what you should do, the raven said. But you won't find out unless you try. Minutes later, the two of them entered the command tent. The camp had been erected in the foothills outside Kanli, on the edge of the marshes. Most of the day had been spent gathering the troops and getting them into formation. The next day, they would start their march, to the southern edge of Mogoya Forest, which was a part of the country of Reem. Covenant troops had never been able to break through the Reem in defense before, but Magoya was getting scarce, and the Reem government had recently been weakened. The Zornan generals felt this was their chance. The Raven dreaded the upcoming battle. If Zorn succeeded, the continent's Magoya would be theirs. All utils and colonies would be made dependent on Magoy. The Covenant would cover Thania with their mag technology and destroy it, leaving piles of toxic crud in their wake. The skill whispered to him, though he knew not to listen. It would only lead to utter disaster. And yet, stepping into the command tent and facing the Zornan officers, it was hard to hold on to that thought. Laos Marshall was an older, battle-hardened Zornan woman, whose mohawk and grey scalp tattoos indicated a status almost as high as Laos himself. Her name was Alta. She ran Laos' contingent for him, together with two officers and five captains, who each commanded a hundred soldiers. About half of the soldiers were careers. The others were utils from different parts of the Covenant who had been forced into service on pain of death. Altha was laying out her strategy, which consisted of a three-day forced march through the Cantal marshes, followed by a surprise attack on the southern front. She was going over the map together with last two officers. Rations will be tight, she told one of them, a scrawny man with a long nose called Berthus. We can make it, he replied. We'll cut back on the Util's rations. Magoy will quench rebellion and we can put him in the vanguard later anyway. You mean purposefully let them die? They all looked up from the map to where Kura's last stood. Pardon, sir? Altha looked distracted. 
Well, that's what it sounds like to me. Kura stared them down. Only the raven slightly behind him could see his hands clench behind his back. Sir Laz, Berthus began, smiling patiently. You have to understand, these are util troops. They obviously can't be armed with the Maganforced spears, and, and they don't have the training for hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Remians. Our best bet is to use them as a distraction. A human shield, if you will, Kura said. Exactly, sir. Bertha's smile widened. Absolutely not. Excuse me? Altha's irritation was palpable. Soren Law says Utils should be given a fair chance to get out of their indentures, Kura said. Wouldn't you agree that deliberately sacrificing them takes all fairness out of the equation? Berthus gaped at him. Sir, we're at war. No doubt you understand that different rules apply. What I've recently come to understand, Kura said sharply, is that the utils never rise from their indentures because we make it impossible. I understand our limited means, but I will not have the utils mistreated. Sir, with all due respect, Alpha exclaimed. Alpha, Kuras replied coolly, if I may remind you, the command of this contingent is mine. We will march hard and ration supplies, but I will not have the utils singled out or sacrificed like beasts. Please, sir, Berthus began, but Kuras cut him off. See that it is done, he said, and left the tent. Did you see her face? Kuras exclaimed. The raven blinked. The cuirass that stood before him in his own tent, luxurious pavilion, was nothing like the stern commander from moments before. Not bad, he said, cautiously. But I'd advise you not to make enemies of your advisors if you can prevent it. Curras waved his words away. He took off his burgundy uniform coat and threw it into a corner. I should have done this years ago, T.A. I should have stood up for my people and not been such a coward. He turned around. Sorry, Tavi. The raven's breath hitched as the servants came in. Tavi was the other person he'd seen in the hallway that night with Sori. They were Contellian too, even taller than Sori, with short, pale hair. Sori, for their part, had lost weight from their stay in the mines. Their green skin had peeled to grey, and there were bags under their eyes. Both Contellians looked distraught and furtive. Would you be so kind as to run a bath for me? Kuras asked them. He smiled encouragingly. A bath, sir? Tavi asked. Kuras frowned. You did bring my bath, didn't you? Behind his back, Sori balled their hands into fists. Sure, we'll waste drinking water so you don't have to go a day without a bath. Enjoy it while it lasts. We did, sir, Tavi replied, but... Of course, Sori interrupted, their voice light and sweet. Straight away. Kuras smiled again, a look of genuine sympathy on his face. Thank you, Sori, I'm, I'm glad to have you back with me. Sori said nothing. I, I, um... Kuras hesitated. I hope you know I meant nothing personal by giving you that sentence. Sori nodded curtly. Sorry? It's quite alright, sir. I'm fine. Kuras grinned clumsily. Glad to hear it. Both utils prepared to leave the tent. Oh, and sorry. Sori turned around. Kuras smiled at them, beaming, clueless. He gestured at his coat in the corner. Could you take that and clean it? 